Well, it has been a really good week. Thanks to those of you who came out to Prayer Week. We had a great time. I was really encouraged by how many were out each day and sense of momentum and uh, sense of God's presence amongst us. Really good to do that. And it was great to have a feature, particularly on praying around the nations as we had different friends uh, zooming in each evening. And one of the great privileges we have as a church is our many connections to the nations. It's going to be great to have Dawn and Tash from Abu Dhabi with us in a few weeks' time. Uh, this coming week, Wednesday, I'm going out to Zimbabwe. I'm just there for a few days in a church, Hope Church in Harare, uh, doing some stuff with them, and also uh, be meeting with a group of pastors, about 40 pastors from across Harare. And then on Monday, which is the day I fly, fly home, week tomorrow, I also got a, some time with some pastors in Johannesburg before coming home. So I'd appreciate your prayers on that trip as to seek to serve those churches. We are doing a series in the Psalms. I'd just like to recommend a book, The Lord of the Psalm, by... Uh, David Gibson on Psalm 23. Psalm 23 is probably the best known of the Psalms, not one we're looking at in this series, but uh, this is a really wonderful book. It's this kind of book that will, will feed your soul. So if you're looking for something to, to read which will do you good uh, in all the rubbish that we consume from the world, so if you want something which is going to actually feed your soul and do, you, do your soul good, I really recommend this, The Lord of Psalm 23 by David Gibson. Okay, we are in this theme of refuge. We're thinking about the theme of refuge as our theme for this year and as a theme for this series that we want to uh, know God as our refuge for this as a prophetic direction for us, prophetic theme for us this year to remind ourselves what it means to come under the covering, the protection of God. And we need that, don't we? We need it this week. Just been aware in, in the life of our church of people who've been struggling with all kinds of issues, people who've got health issues, people who've got issues with their kids, people who've got issues with their employment, people who've got issues with their finances. I mean, to be honest, all of those are just me, and then there's the rest of you as well. So um, there's stuff going on which we know that we need help in. And then we look at the world at large, and all that goes on in the world at large. And again this week, uh, new stuff comes, doesn't it? Now we're bombing Yemen, and who knows what's going to happen, and uh, the world's carries blundering on, we know that we need to come under refuge. And this, this theme of refuge makes us ask, forces us really to a fundamental question, which is where is your trust? Where is your trust? Every, everyone, everyone in the world really is looking for refuge. Everyone's looking for security. Everyone's looking for salvation. Everyone's looking for refuge. Everyone's looking for that, really. And so the fundamental question that this theme pushes us to is, are we going to find refuge in the asserting of ourselves and our self-assertion, or are we going to find refuge in dependence upon God? Are we going to find security in the things that we do, or are we going to find security in who God is? And which of those approaches is going to get the better results in terms of how life works for us. Now, the Psalms which we're in for a few weeks at the beginning of this year show us what finding refuge in God looks like and also gives us some rationale for that. It explains why it's better to find refuge in God rather than in our own self-assertion, our own self-efforts, our self-work. So as we're going through this series, as we're looking at these Psalms, for those of us who know Jesus, this really should serve us as a, as a reminder to us of what we believe, that we believe that Christ is our rock, he is our salvation, he is our refuge, and following him is the better way to live, gives better results. And for those of you who don't yet know Jesus, it gives a question to explore, because 
you have to consider this. Where are you going to find your salvation? Where are you going to find your security? Where are you going to find your refuge? So hopefully for all of us here this morning, there's things which we can learn and apply. So we're going to be in Psalm 62 this morning. It will appear on the screen if you've got a Bible, an actual Bible with you as well. That'd be great. Psalm 62. Now this psalm is divided into three sections. Last week I explained that uh, the Bibles we use here at Gateway, these NIVs, miss out a word which appears in the psalm, the word selah, and the editors in their wisdom have taken that out, I think because they think it interrupts the flow, because selah is a word which doesn't really mean anything much to us. We think selah is a term which means take a moment to pause, to reflect on what's been said, respond to God, to what's come, and actually that means it's an important word, and the word selah appears at verse 4 and verse 8 in this psalm. That's where it should be. You're Perfectly free to write it back in. That's what I do with my Bible. I write it back in because it should be there. But we're going to be taking those three sections uh, divided by the word Selah. So let's read the first four verses. Psalm 62. For the director of music for Jeduthun, a psalm of David. Truly my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from him. Truly he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I shall never be shaken. How long will you assault me? Would all of you throw me down this leaning wall, this tottering fence? Surely they intend to topple me from my lofty place. They take delight in lies. With their mouths they bless, but in their hearts they curse. In um, the Hebrew, the original language version of this psalm, the way the verse is organized, verse 1 is actually the title and uh, that's important. We should always read the titles of the psalms. The title of this psalm is for the director of music for Jeduthun, a psalm of David. This psalm is written by David, who's king, and it's written for Jeduthun, who is one of the worship leaders. And we're told in the book of First Chronicles that David had three worship leaders responsible for leading the worship of God in the tabernacle, Asaph and Jeduthun and Heman. And of course, of all those three names, the one you want to be called is He-Man. That's the great, that's the best name. But Asaph and Jeduthun were the worship leaders. When, when He-Man was leading worship, it must have been rocking that day. Uh, <laughs> and these, were, these three men were priests. They were Levites. And with their sons, they were responsible for uh, leading of worship. It's a beautiful thing when sons lead worship. It's, uh, Carlos isn't involved in leading worship, but he's involved in leading all kinds of ways, and it's great to have Liam involved in leading worship. It's great when fathers and sons are leading in worship of God together, and that's what would have happened with Jeduthun and his sons. And Psalm 62 is one of the psalms that Jeduthun's band sung. So you can imagine when it came to the Sabbath and it was Jeduthun's band's turn, this is one of the songs they would have sung. This would have been one of the ones that John Clark would have allowed them to have on their playlist. Now, we sing songs not just because we enjoy singing, but the songs that we sing are meant to orientate us towards truth, towards the truth of who God is. That's true for the songs that we sing, and it's certainly true of the Psalms. The Psalms help us to get the right orientation, to orientate, orientate ourselves to see the truth, to see who God is. And really, the summary of Psalm 62 is this, whatever happens... I can trust in God. Whatever happens, I can trust in God. I mean, really, that's the summary of the 
150 psalms. Whatever happens, I can trust in God. Through all the emotions, ups and downs, all the different facets, factors of life, I can trust in God. When life is unstable, stability is found in God. And the stability which David writes about here is three-cornered. It's like a three-cornered stool which uh, is stable, doesn't rock. The three-corner stability of rock, salvation, and fortress. And David makes this very personal. He says that you are my rock. You are my salvation. You are my fortress. And we need to know these things for ourselves. We need to personalize this today. We need to know this, take it into ourselves. If we're going to find refuge in God, to be able to say, yes, he is my rock. Yes, he is my salvation. Yes, he is my fortress. We need to know these things. David says that God is his rock. Now, the story of David takes up quite a lot of, of, of the Bible. He's the most important of all the, most significant of all the kings and uh, a great figure. And his early life was not easy when God had called him and appointed him, and he was seeking to serve the current king, King Saul, but Saul hated him and wanted to kill him. And a lot of the time, David had to hide, and the Bible talks about how David hid amongst the rocks. And so when David talks about the Lord being his rock, I'm sure he's reflecting on his personal experience of having to hide amongst rocks. And, of course, when we think about this term, the Lord's my rock, we're thinking of something which is foundational, a solid place on which to stand. One of Jesus' most famous stories in Luke 6, which if you're doing our bread readings together, you'd have read earlier this week, Luke 6, Jesus tells the story about the person who builds a house on the sand, and when the storm comes, the house gets swept away, and the person who builds a house on the rock, and when the storm comes, the house stands firm. We know that's true. It's obvious. Even down at sandbanks where they're building on sand, they don't actually build on the sand. They have to stick great big piles down through the sand into the rock. Otherwise, those multi-million pound houses would just fall down because if you build on sand, things get washed away. You need to build on the rock. God is my rock. So this forces us to the question, what are you building on? What is the foundation of your life? Is your foundation sandy or does it go deep down onto something which is solid? David says that God is my salvation. That means that God is the one who rescues him. He's, the, he's David's life preserver. Being, being saved means having a knowledge and experience of being found, of being at home, of being safe. That's what it means to be saved. And you can try and do that yourself. You can try and find yourself. You can try and find your own way home, or you can find it in God. And that's what David does. God is my salvation. God is my rock. He is my salvation. Now, interestingly, when we get to the New Testament, we get to the book of Acts, and we get to that moment when Jesus has died and been raised to new life and returned to his Father's glory, and the disciples are gathered, and the Holy Spirit is poured out on the disciples in a new way for the first time, and they go out into the streets of Jerusalem, and Peter, now transformed from this uh, often loudmouthed but fundamentally fearful man into an extraordinary apostle called by God, stands up to preach, and Peter ties these two images together of rock and salvation. And he says to the crowd, Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Jesus is the rock. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Jesus is the rock. He's the one by whom we can be saved. 
Now, this is the central claim of Christianity, that Jesus is the one to build on because Jesus is the one who can save us. And those of us here this morning who know that need to celebrate this. Jesus is the cornerstone. He is the rock. He is the firm foundation. He is the one who saves us. And for those of you who don't yet know Jesus, this is for you to explore and consider this claim made about Jesus. God is my rock. God is my salvation. God is my fortress, a defense, a secure place in which to take your stand. When it feels like life is throwing stones at you, you need a fortress in which to take refuge. And because God is these things to David, because David knows that God is his rock, is his salvation, is his fortress, David says, I shall never be shaken. I shall never be shaken. And the word that's used there is the same word as we were looking at last week when we looked at Psalm 46. In Psalm 46, it says that the city of God will never fall, will never be shaken. And it's the same word, the same phrase here. David says, as surely as God's city won't be shaken, I'm not going to be shaken. I'm held safe by God. There's this rock-solid confidence that God has got us. Now, we need to have that kind of confidence, that kind of security, because life is tough. Look at verses 3 to 4. So David goes, first two verses, from proclaiming who God is and the security he has to a description of how rubbish life is. And this, what we see in the Psalms isn't a saccharine spirituality. What we see is honesty, honesty about the realities of life. And what David describes here is something which can be common, that it can feel like people are out to get you. And if it feels like that, it's probably because they are. And that's certainly David's experience here. Now, one of the real pleasures of life is an experience of civility. <laughs> it's... When you're getting on, when you get on well with your neighbors, if you've got good neighbors, and when you're in good relationship with other people, and I mean, one of the things I actually most enjoy just about the, the, the warp and woof of life is getting into friendly conversations with strangers. I mean, that's just one of the great life's pleasures. You bump into somebody in the park or out in the shops, whatever, and just get into a conversation and you know it's not going to go anywhere, you're not going to see that person again. But just, a, just that sort of civility, that friendliness is one of the things which makes life pleasurable and good, isn't it? It makes, makes life feel good. And when life is like that, we should give thanks. But the reality is that life isn't always like that. Because as well as being friendly and charming and delightful, people can also be petty and vindictive and cruel. And the world spins on the twin poles of comparison and competition. And people are trying to climb the greasy pole. And as they do that, they are happy to trample on the heads of others. And people are two-faced. People will say one thing to your face, and then behind your back they'll say something else. That happens. And you don't have to be suffering from paranoia to feel at times that the world is out to get you. Because sometimes the world is out to get you. That's how it is, and that's what David is describing here. And that means that you can feel like a wobbly fence. I'm a leaning wall, a tottering fence. Some of you have got fences like that in your houses, and when the winds get up a bit, you're worrying, what's going to happen? Is a fence going to blow down? Am I going to have to pay to get a new fence? And you think, can we get this fence through another? Can we get this tottering fence through another winter? Will it last? And it's not just the fences in your gardens that are like that. 
We can feel like that. That's what David describes his experiences like. Feel like a tottering fence. Is it going to stand? And people will, at times, even seek to undermine our Christian confidence. They will. People are trying to undermine our faith. David says here, they intend to topple me from my lofty place. Well, that can be interpreted as they want to push me off my high position, or in the old King James Version, it says they want to remove me from my excellency. Charles Spurgeon, the famous preacher of the 19th century, said about this, the excellencies of the righteous are obnoxious to the wicked and the main object of their fury. And there are times when people will seek to undermine your Christian faith and knock you from your high position. And because life is like that, that is why we need a rock, a salvation, and a fortress. That's why we need a refuge. Because in ourselves, when it comes to it, we are wobbling fences. But God isn't. Verse 5. Yes, my soul, find rest in God. My hope comes from Him. Truly, He is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I shall not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Selah. Verses 5 and 6 here are almost identical to verses 1 and 2. David repeats what he said at the beginning of the psalm. And these are truths that need to keep being restated. We need to keep saying to ourselves these truths. We need to keep reminding ourselves about them. We need to remind ourselves that true refuge is found in dependence upon God. Now, there's a slightly different way in which these verses can be translated, interpreted. So here in the NIV, it says, Truly, or yes, my soul finds rest in God. Uh, lots of the translations put it more like this. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. Yes, my soul finds rest in God, or... For God alone, my soul waits in silence. Um, Psalm 46, verse 10, which we were looking at last week, God says, be still and know that I am God. It's the same kind of sentiment. It's the same kind of principle. Be still, rest, soul, rest. Find your rest in God. Wait for him. Wait for God alone. For God alone, my soul waits. Don't hedge your bets when it comes to God. Don't have a bit of God and a bit of something else. No, God has unique ability to be our hope and our salvation. He alone is the one who can be our soul's rest. Now, we need to think a little bit about what that word means, what the word soul means. It appears a few times in this psalm and many times in the psalms. It's an important word. and we, It's a word I think we can stumble over a little bit because when we think soul, we probably think of something which is very... Uh, how do you grasp it? It's intangible, something kind of a bit wafty, misty. How do you grasp what a soul means? But that's not really what the Bible means when it talks about soul. When, when the Bible uses this word soul, it's talking about something which is actually very tangible. The word soul biblically means it's the whole of us. It's our usness. Who am I? I am my soul. My soul encapsulates everything about me. My soul is my, my will, the decisions I make, and my soul is my thoughts, my emotions, and, and my soul even includes my body, in a sense. It's the whole of me is my soul. 
And so when David says, my soul finds rest in God, God alone, my soul waits for him, it's talking about the whole of him. That If you want, in your entire being, your will, your emotions, your body, if you want to find rest, the place to find that is in God. It's in him. The way to find rest, to find quiet, is in him. And the way that David expresses this in the psalm means that this is, this is probably a Sabbath day psalm. So we, we're told from the title it was written for Jeduthun, the director of music. So probably Jeduthun and his boys are going to be singing this on the Sabbath. The Sabbath, the, the seventh day, the day on which God concluded the work of creation, rested from his labors. And there are two different images of the Sabbath, two different instructions given to God's people about why they're to keep Sabbath. One in the book of Exodus and one in the book of Deuteronomy. You put these up side by side as I've done here. You see, both start with the instruction, with the command, which is you're not to work on the Sabbath. You're to have a day when you don't do your normal labor. And then there are reasons given for that. And the reason given in Exodus is somewhat different from the reason given in Deuteronomy. In Exodus it says, the reason you're not to work is because in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. In Deuteronomy, the reason given for not working on the Sabbath day is, remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. What we see there in Exodus is an invitation, while what we see in Deuteronomy is more of a warning. The invitation is... Come into the rest of God. God made all things and then he rested and enjoyed what he had made. And you, people of God, are invited into that experience of creative rest with God. Deuteronomy, it's a bit different. It's more of a warning. It says, God has rescued you from slavery. You were slaves and you've been brought into freedom. Therefore, don't live like slaves anymore. And Sabbath is about not living like a slave. There's this day where you consciously act out your freedom, not to have to be under the tyranny of Pharaoh, not having to be laboring and working, but enjoying what God has given to you. Don't submit to the way of slavery. And the only true way for us to find soul rest is in a Sabbath-shaped life. It's a life which recognizes and honors these two realities. We've stepped into the rest that God has given and we don't submit to the tyranny of the world. And ultimately, it's Jesus Christ who is able to bring us into this experience of Sabbath. Because Jesus has opened the way for us to come into the presence of God. That's what Jesus has done. At the cross, Jesus has defeated our sin and death. He's removed the separation that was between us and our Heavenly Father. We now, as God's children, can come right into the presence of God. That invitation for us to enjoy God's presence, to step into his rest, is there for us to enjoy. And Jesus defeated the tyranny that ruled over us. At the cross, the powers were exposed and defeated. And so we are no longer to live as slaves, but we are to live as the free children of God. And the way for us to find true soul rest is to come into this way of living. To know what it is to step into God's invitation and to refuse to be ruled 
by the expectations of the world. That's an experience of Sabbath. That's what the psalm calls us to, and that's what Jesus enables us to step into. And then we get this beautiful verse, verse 8. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. It's such a beautiful verse. Pour out, pour out your hearts to God. If you are a Sabbath-shaped person, if you're living in the reality of what Christ has done, you live in that place where you are able to pour out your heart to God. Charles, Charles Spurgeon again says this, You to whom his love is revealed, reveal yourselves to him. His heart is set on you. Lay bare your hearts to him. Turn the vessel of your soul upside down in his secret presence and let your inmost thoughts, desires, sorrows and sins be poured out like water. Hide nothing from him for you can hide nothing. Pour out your hearts to him. We can do this when we know that God is our refuge. When we've come in, we've responded to the invitation of God, when we refuse the tyranny of the world, when we step into the rest of God, into that creative rest which he offers us. We come unto this place of his covering, his refuge, and we are able to pour out our hearts to him. You can tell him everything. He won't reject you, won't turn you away. You won't be taken by surprise. You can pour out your hearts to him. Your thoughts, desires, sorrows, and sins, pour them out like water. He's your refuge. Beautiful. And then the last third of this psalm, verse 9. Surely the lowborn are but a breath, the highborn are but a lie. If weighed on a balance, they are nothing. Together they are only a breath. Do not trust in extortion or put vain hope in stolen goods. Though your riches increase, do not set your heart on them. One thing God has spoken, two things I have heard. Power belongs to you, God, and with you, Lord, is unfailing love. And you reward everyone according to what they have done. We human beings are always looking for approval. Actually, approval is just another way of expressing salvation. We're looking for approval. We're looking for salvation. And Psalm 62 forces us to this question. Are we going to find approval? Are we going to find salvation through our own self-assertion or by dependence on God? You can seek approval. You can seek salvation through your own accomplishments, the highborn, or you can seek it through being a victim, the lowborn. Both equally are fleeting and in the end, meaningless, described here as a breath and nothing. What we're urged to do here is don't, don't run with the mob. Don't run with the mob. Don't just run with where our culture is running. It's but a breath. And don't be intimidated by those who seem to hold power because actually they promise much, but they deliver little. And we know that. Don't put your trust in get-rich-quick schemes. If you're prospering honestly, well, don't rely on that too much either. Those are foolish ways in which to assess the soul's true worth. Those things in the end are sand, not rock. God is the one who has real power. God is the one who is unfailing love. And trusting in him is the way to find refuge.
In him we can find our reward. In him we can find our rest. He is my rock. He is my salvation. He is my fortress. Lord God, thank you that we have these amazing truths. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us be carried on the psalm into worshipping you. Lord, thank you that you gave these words to David for Jeduthun all those centuries, millennia ago, and now they come to us. And I pray that as we come to you now and as we worship, that we, like Jeduthun, like David, would be able to speak, would be able to pour out our hearts before you. Thank you that you are the one in whom we can find true refuge because you are our rock, you are our salvation, you are our fortress. I pray, Lord, that we wouldn't try and make life work simply by our self-assertion, but we would be dependent upon you, knowing that that is a better way to live. That is, that is where we find real security. That is where we find our feet on rock, not on sand. Lord, Lord, keep us from just running with the crowds in this world. Let us instead set our eyes on you, respond to your invitation, live this Sabbath-shaped life, knowing what it is to be free from the tyrannies that would control us and stepping into the rest that is yours. Let us, like David, say that our souls wait for you. In you, our souls find rest. I pray you'd minister that now as we come and worship you. In your wonderful name, Jesus. Amen.